This is the Good Things Guy podcast with myself, Brendan DeCute, South Africa's very own Good Things Guy. I'm on a mission to change what the world pays attention to. I truly believe that there's good news all around us, and I spend my time hunting down and reporting on the best good news stories from South Africa and the world. In the Good Things Guy podcast, you'll meet these everyday heroes and hear their incredible stories. The South African National Blood Service and Western Cape Blood Service recently came together to showcase how they intend to save more lives using drone technology. That's right. Blood will now be delivered by drones in South Africa. Jonathan Lowe, CEO of the South African National Blood Service, has joined us in studio to chat about blood in SA as well as this new incredible technology. Jonathan, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having us. It's cool to have you in studio. We'll get into the drone stuff now, which is just absolutely absolutely mind-blowing to think that um, this technology is happening in South Africa. Like, you hear about these things happening internationally, maybe, but never in South Africa. Before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit more about blood transfusion and blood South Africa? Sure. So the blood transfusion service in South Africa is is quite a unique service in terms of the rest of the world and in terms of South Africa. So what we offer is a true vein-to-vein service. So on the one side, we're looking after donors and making sure that the Hippocratic Oath says first do no harm. So we make sure that our donors are healthy and in the right state of mind and in the right physical condition to be able to donate blood. We then take that blood, we process it, we test it, we separate it into its components, and then we have a whole cold chain that stores it. And then, of course, we have a massive logistics operation countrywide that then takes that blood to the patients that so desperately need it. So when I say vein to vein, we also actually manage all the way literally to the patient's bedside to make sure that that patient gets the right compatible safe blood at all times. So a lot of this is about logistics. It's a very complex logistics operation. And um, a lot of it is about making sure that we have the correct coverage So it's hard to predict exactly where blood is needed. So we do use, I think, big data. We use a lot of clever business intelligence to be able to try and predict as close as we can which regions, which areas, which patients are going to need blood where, when, and how, and make sure that our fridges are full in those areas. So that's basically and quite simply how it works. That sounds very technical. I mean, trying to figure out which regions in South Africa would need more blood. What are the the uses? Why would one need blood? So I always kind of said it was in the days of my early med school training, one of the profs that really had a, an impact on the med students was a chap called Solly Benatar. And he used to say to us, common things occur commonly. And if you can just remember that, you'll find out that in medicine and generally in the world, that if you look at predictive analytics and you look at, if we just look at our Google Maps, if we look at our own entrenched behaviors, typically you can predict that certain car accidents, certain uh, maternal hemorrhages, certain incidences of leukemia and other such things that require blood transfusion will happen sporadically in certain areas. And there is definitely a seasonality. So, for example, in leukemias, that's why World Leukemia Day is, is always uh, in, in the spring. It's because these diseases happen at that time of year. So there is predictive analytics that one can use to a great degree. We also just look at what we've used historically. And what you've used historically is the best predictor of the future. When we talk about blood 
blood stock. What mm. currently is the number or the days or how much blood is available in South Africa right now? So we, we've had an amazing success story in this. And that's something I think that we at the South African National Blood Service are very proud of. Sanbus has been around for about 82 years. Apparently, as long as many of the people that have worked there for 30 and 40 years have been there, we've never had more than one to three day stock. That's generally been the norm. We changed our strategy last year and went out with a concerted donor recruitment strategy. We also simplified the questionnaire. We also relooked at our deferral criteria. That's the things or modalities we use to tell people you can't donate. So we really cleverly looked at that. We looked at iron supplementation for those that were deferred for having low supplementation uh, or low iron stores. And then we also, like a fishing business, decided to go and trawl, fish where the fish are. So you can use a lot of um, epidemiological data. You can use a lot of data that's out there at the moment to tell you where your most likely donor pools are. And what we've done in the last year, in fact, is increase the donor pool from about 460,000 people to almost 570,000 people. So a year ago, we would say that less than 1% of South Africans donate blood. Today, we say that just over 1% of South Africans donate blood. The real success story in that, however, is that the day's cover has increased from one to two days to more than six days every day for the last six months. And that's really just a big thank you to all the South Africans out there who've just given of themselves, who've altruistically given blood and have have come and heeded the call for more blood for our country. So I can walk in, walk you through briefly what day's cover means. It means that if we have one day's cover, if I bleed you, Brent, today, I've got to test your blood overnight. I've got to separate it into its components. I've got to make sure it's stored at the right temperature. So for whole blood and uh, red cells, that's between 2 and 8 degrees. For platelets, that's at 22 degrees. And so it goes. So all the components are stored at different temperatures. And then I've got to get that into another patient. So I've got to have a overnight courier service or an aeroplane that then gets that into KZN or wherever else it's required the very next day. Or a drone. Or a drone. There we go. <laughs> there we go. So certainly um, day's cover is critical. So now with six and seven days cover, the whole system is slowed down. I think safety improves, and we're not as sort of hand-to-mouth as we were. How long does blood last for when being donated? So if I donate uh, today, how long is that going to last for in a fridge? Or like, what is, the, what is the lifespan of it? Yeah. So for red blood cells or for whole blood, typically it's around 45 to 55 days, providing you store it at 2 to 8 degrees. For platelets, it's only five days. Those have to be stored at 22 degrees. Now, platelets are used for clotting. So when people are having massive hemorrhages, when kids have leukemia and that kind of stuff, platelets are a really, really core component. So at the moment, with us having sufficient blood stocks of O negative, uh, which is the universal blood donor, sitting at around six to seven days, but A's and AB's, as we would call them, uh, sitting at over 15 to 20 days, we're able to use a lot of the A and AB blood into platelets. So again, even if you are not the universal donor, your blood still will be used, particularly for platelets, plasma, and many other things. So interesting. One of the things that you mentioned was the less than 1% and then the more than 1%, which is great. You've done Mm. a fantastic job, and that's great growth. But at the same time, it's heartbreaking to hear that just over 1% of South Africans donate blood. Why would that number be so low? I think it's a, it's a consequence of a number of things. So one of the, the issues is, is just simply the disease burden that we have in our country. So we have a lot of hepatitis. We have a lot of HIV. It's a real scourge, as we all know. And, and despite using antiretrovirals, these are still deferral criteria. So 
in the country, the, the incidence and prevalence of HIV in some regions is as high as 30%, in others it's 17%. So it already knocks out a third of your possible donor base. In most developed countries in the world, it's around 15 to 2% of the populace that donate blood. So we're not that far out of line. I think at less than 1%, we were really way out of line. The other thing is that I don't think that blood is getting everywhere. So although we have 185 sites countrywide, we employ thousands of people, both on the donor side to collect the blood, the phlebotomists and the trained nurses and all of that. We also have blood bankers that distribute and dispense the blood. And we can't be everywhere all of the time. So coverage is very, very key. So as we've increased the blood stocks, guess what's happened? It's gone. People are using more as well. So clearly we were undersupplying historically. So it's one of the key things why we felt we did need to go and collect more blood. One of the interesting things, so I'd never given blood before before this year. And obviously, um, I've had Natalie on the show. We spoke about her Tiny the Mighty story, and and that's the Mm. reason I got involved Mm. uh, with donating blood. And then I donated blood, and a couple of weeks later, I got involved with organ donation and organ donation awareness. So I got a little organ donation tattoo, which which I had put on me. And 52, 56 days rolled around after I'd had my first blood donation, and someone called me to say, hey, Brent, it's been X amount of time. We're having a blood donation drive this weekend. Can you make it? And I said to her, oh, no, I had a tattoo like two weeks ago. I'm, I don't think I can. So she said, give me one sec, please. And click, 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 click. And then she said, oh, unfortunately, you can't. I've just had a look. But you can exactly on this date. And I just thought that the service was absolutely magic. To have a, a physical reminder to get my butt into a clinic or into the local blood donor center down in Four Ways and just to get it done. And she said to me, would you like me to call you again before? And I said, please do. And I think that's an incredible service. It makes it easier to get involved. No, thank you. Well, that, that's great feedback to hear. Um, we tick. obviously, <laughs> it's, it's fantastic to have that. I mean, sometimes we, particularly when you're in my kind of role, uh, if you, if you're in management, you only get the negative. So it's, it's fantastic just to hear that some things are really going right. We really do our best. We employ a huge number of really dedicated people that are working there day and night to make sure that one, we collect the blood and two, that we dispense it adequately. So absolutely a, a, a tattoo in the short term is a deferral criteria for obvious reasons. Somewhat outdated now. And I think these, these are the things that we continually relook in terms of our deferral criteria. But certainly we'd love to have you back in oh, three no, no, months' will, time. Uh, of course, <laughs> I'll, I'll be there as soon as I get that uh, next phone call. I'll be in whatever um, clinic or wherever Fantastic. I need to go to go donate blood. Even the process with the, the nurses that were on duty, yes, they were just... Um, so I was quite scared. I'm quite scared of needles, funny enough. And she made me feel comfortable and we laughed and it was really, it was a cool experience. And, and I feel like it's a really easy way to give back. It took a couple of minutes out of my Saturday. Um, and after that, I, I had a beer to celebrate. And, um, and I think it's a really easy way to give back. Too much about me. I want to speak about, uh, the drones. Yeah. Cause this, this for me is exciting. This is the real cool <clears throat> bit that you've, uh, you've introduced to South Africa and it's so, I feel like saying it's so first world um, to think of, of me donating blood today and it could be in this little flying thing tomorrow going to someone in need. How did you think up this process or this idea? I think it's a combination of, let's say, passion and purpose. 
although I'm a medical doctor and uh, involved in the blood service, I'm also a drone pilot. I was one of the, the earlier drone pilots in the country. I like things that fly. I've always had a passion for aviation. Early adopter. Yeah, early adopter, <laughs> bleeding edge <laughs> of technology. <laughs> and certainly when I came to South African National Blood Service uh, a little over a year ago now, it was about 18 months ago, they had been thinking about this. There was some groundbreaking work done in Rwanda. And that really was a drone company that was taking blood um, almost on behalf of a blood service. And they'd done some really wonderful stuff there and I think had some good data to back it up. So we just looked at taking this to the next level. So we looked at it with a different lens, not as a drone company, but as a blood service. And as I said before, we're a vein-to-vein -vein service. So the quality and integrity of the product is entirely um, within our jurisdiction. So we need to make sure that it's at the right temperature, the right pressure, that the product is uh, is carefully handled. Don't forget that red blood cells or blood, when they're circulating in our bodies, are well cushioned. They sit in elasticated arteries and veins surrounded by muscle and fat and tissue. And, uh, you know, even when we jump on trampolines or expose ourselves to G-forces, our body actually cushions that. So when we looked at what some of the rest of the world had done in terms of drone delivery of blood, we looked at a number of criteria. So the first thing to say was let's not expose the red blood cells to anything out of the ordinary. So let's make sure we encapsulate them almost in like a womb, if you call it that, that's going to keep this blood at a constant temperature, constant pressure, and not expose it to G-forces. So with that, the, the capsule was put in place inside the drone. The second thing is we needed to fly far and we needed to fly fast. Because a lot of the places that we aren't getting to are in rural areas. There's young women that might be having uncomplicated pregnancies. They looked after in a midwife obstetric unit in a deeply rural area. And then they land up at the day of, of giving birth and they have a massive hemorrhage. And they're far away from any district hospital. They're far away from a blood bank. And as a blood bank, we can't be everywhere all the time. So we needed to be able to go from our blood banks to these midwife obstetric units or wherever the trauma or bleeding is happening. And we needed to get there quickly and we needed to get there efficiently. We also needed to make sure that we didn't need a runway. So a lot of these drones and fixed-wing aircraft, you see, they need a runway to take off on. A helicopter, for example, also is commercially very expensive. It can cost millions of euros, and you need a pilot, you need a flight plan, and all that kind of stuff. So we landed on um, having searched the world for this kind of technology on a small company in Germany that had a VTOL technology, vertical takeoff and landing. That means that this aircraft takes off like a helicopter, and then it, it transitions. The front propellers fold forwards. The rear propellers fold backwards and switch off. And it turns into, a, into an aircraft, into a fixed-wing aircraft with a wingspan of about three and a half meters. So it's quite large. It can carry about four units of blood. It cushions them because it's taking off gently like a helicopter. And then when it gets to the site where the blood is required, it's able to land. It's able to land where the nurse can then go and open the hatch um, in the future using either a fingerprint or a code that we will SMS and take out the blood for the patient and at the same time put the patient's blood, a blood sample, back into the drone so that we can fly that back to the blood bank and cross-match it. So we don't end up just using universal blood type all the time. So what they've done in other countries is they catapult the blood into the air, so we were worried about the G-forces. They fly over a rural area, and then they drop the blood from the sky, and it, it lands sort of with a little parachute. But you're not sure who's getting the blood, number one. You're not sure of the integrity, so you don't have real-time monitoring of the temperature and pressure and all of that, and 
and you're not sure of the of the g-forces that are exposed so we needed to cover for all of those issues being a blood bank so hence the vtol aircraft that we have is truly unique it is a world first in two-way logistics for um, delivery of blood and it's something i think that's very exciting for us so i have two questions one the capsule is that like a fridge is that going to keep everything at temperature absolutely so we worked with a German company here, and, and actually what we did is if you take a 1956 VW Beetle, they were air-cooled, if you remember, in the early Porsches. They have a little radiator with with air running over it. So what we do is we've miniaturized that and used a very clever 3D printing technique to take that little air-cooled system, really miniaturize it. And there's a little plate that after the radiator, the air will run over, and that can either heat or cool. And then in real time, because we have a constant data link with the aircraft at any time, we will know the temperature and the pressure of the components of that particular little fridge. Or if it's uh, platelets, then we can, in fact, heat. We can keep it at 22. We can keep it at 2. We can choose the temperature. We program that into the drone, and it flies accordingly. My second question is, who flies this? How does it work? Like, Is there is there someone in a control room somewhere uh, sort of pointing it in the right direction? Does it have cameras on it so that you can figure out where it is? This technology is blowing my mind. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, it, the first thing is this is a combination of a quadcopter, so the typical DJI Phantom, so it's got four blades that, that uh, point upwards, but as I said, can tilt forward like a, a Harrier jump jet or an Osprey. I think those were the early uh, aircraft that used to do this. But the aircraft can fly itself completely autonomously. So you can literally push a button and it takes off. So it has an onboard uh, GPS with redundancy. So there's more than one GPS satellite picker-upper, if you call it that. It has on the front a pitot tube, which you'd see on most uh, commercial aircraft. The pitot tube measures the airspeed. It measures the barometric pressure. It also measures wind speed. Then it has a number of onboard compasses, so it knows if it's flying north, south, east, or west. Uh, with the barometric pressure, it will know the altitude that it's flying at. And then with the GPS algorithm, it will also know exactly the position it's in. So this aircraft has more than enough data. In fact, it's probably got as much intellectual capital on board as a Boeing 747. Plus, all of that is then fitted to an, an autonomous brain that constantly learns. So it learns about the flying conditions. One of the fascinating things that happened when we, we did the beta testing in Germany, and it was uh, the one thing that these drones don't like is flying in snow because snow and ice can ice up the brushless motors and the propellers. So... Of course, when we came to test this in Joburg and it had done its first flights in, in, in Germany, the aircraft wouldn't take off. and We couldn't work out why. And eventually we worked out, okay, it's early in the morning. It's one and a half degrees up here on the high felt. We're at 1,500 meters. The dew point, I can't remember what it was. But basically, if you were in Germany, it would be snowing. <laughs> so this aircraft, we actually had to wipe. We had to Africanize it. We had to, uh, <laughs> we had to wipe clean its database, and we had to make sure that we started again. And we could give the aircraft the comfort that this is Africa. It's not going to snow. It's probably never going to snow. <laughs> yeah, you're you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, John. and it was okay to take off after that. So interesting learning technology as well. Absolutely incredible. Height and speed. So my question about height is, is it at its own sort of airspace that it's not bothering anybody else or, or can't crash into anything else. And the second is speed. How fast can we go? We can fly anything from a hover because this aircraft can hover, remember, it's like a helicopter, to a cruising speed when it's in fixed wing, when it's flying like an airplane at anything from 65 kilometers an hour to 180. 
So it can really cruise. It's got a magnificent aerofoil. That's the, the shape of the wing, which is really smooth and glossy and cuts through the air. So it's a lovely looking uh, um, aircraft as well, but highly, highly efficient, meaning it can literally fly long distance for hours at a time and at, at high speed with using absolutely minimal energy. And in fact, the cost of a flight would be around 10 rand. It's just the cost oh of electricity. So it's it's really, really inexpensive to fly this in terms of height, our plan in collaboration with the Civil Aviation Authority is to try to open drone corridors, which is to say that between a hospital and a blood bank, let's open a corridor that would be, let's say, 120 meters high, 10 meters wide, 10 meters high, and fly the drones constantly in that corridor. Now, that's way below where most civil aircraft flies. You know, even helicopters barely come that low. And we would use what we would call terrain following, meaning that if there's mountains and that, we would keep a constant 120 meters um, above the ground. So we'd almost open a pipe, if you call it that, from a blood bank to a midwife obstetric unit. And because the aircraft has a transponder on board, it's telling all other civil aircraft, here I am, here I am, please avoid me, please avoid me. Plus, we would want that pipe, if we call it that, to be on any air map that any uh, aircraft would be flying. And naturally, we would also make sure we log a flight plan every time before we, we took off, as you would do with any other aircraft. I literally feel like we're living in the future. You speak about GPS, wasn't around 15 years ago. Yeah. You speak about uh, 3D printing. That wasn't around five years ago. The drone technology, I mean, drones have only been around for a few years. We are literally living in the future, and a South African brand that delivers blood is in the forefront of it, and it absolutely blows my mind. I think it's so incredible. No, absolutely. Thank you. thank you. And it's been, it's been an amazing bit of teamwork. So the wonderful thing we have in Sandbus is, is really dedicated and, and I think highly trained people, people that have been there for 10, 20, and 30 years. And, I think it was George Bernard Shaw that said, the optimist will develop the aeroplane and the pessimist will develop the parachute. And when it came to this particular project, we had a very healthy mix of both. So we had a whole team of very kind of regulatory people saying, you can't do this, you can't do that. And actually that made us think. Hence, we developed the capsule that maintains the blood at a certain temperature and pressure. Hence, we didn't opt for catapulting and we didn't opt for just a normal uh, drone. We opted for a long-range fixed-wing VTOL and all that kind of stuff came out of both the optimists and the pessimists helping us actually find the right solution. So really dedicated team, I think, that burnt the midnight hours. And I'm, I'm really deeply thankful to them for making this happen. It's absolutely incredible. Is it live? Uh, or are you still sort of um, ticking all the boxes and getting the pipelines opened and the airspace? And, or, or, or is it floating around right now? So it's not floating around right now. Obviously, we're working closely with the CAA. And one of the things is for the CAA, this is uh, – and let's not forget, we, we owe them a huge debt of gratitude for keeping the skies regular. Um, if everybody was just flying stuff and it was falling out the sky, people would be hurt. So like we're a blood service and we really understand regulations and safety, the CAA has a, a very clear job to do as well. The other key thing is that this technology is quite unique. So this isn't an aircraft. It's not a helicopter. It's not a drone as you would understand it. It's a, it's a VTOL fixed wing, call it what you want, but it fits a completely new category. So we have to work really closely with CAA in finding and defining this category and then making sure that we put the requisite rules around it. So we're working very closely with them to make that happen. And so far they've been exceptionally receptive, helpful, and I think working with us. We all want to see this happen so that we can save some more lives.
I think so. I think that's the, the end goal. The main goal is to Absolutely. save lives and get blood to people quicker. Um, if people want to donate blood right now, what do they do? So there should be, I mean, you could just go to the Sandbus website or you can go to our Facebook page. I think we're on Twitter as well. And you can see there, particularly on Facebook, you can see all of the, the drives that are happening in the various regions. We have a helpline, which is also on our website. And if you, if you phone the call center, they will tell you exactly where to go at what date and time. And, and often there's blood drives that happen in communities. So we don't just do fixed sites. Increasingly, we're going mobile. We developing big red buses, if you call it that, that will take our competence directly to communities, to churches, to sports gatherings, to wherever people find it convenient to donate blood. So increasingly, we're going to be going a lot more mobile, a bit like a fishing trawler. Go and fish where the fish are. <laughs> it's the easiest way. <laughs> Guys, I have to tell you, this is your call to action. If you haven't ever donated blood before, if you're a little bit scared, don't be. It's really simple. Um, they make it really easy. It's a really, really easy way to give back. And I can promise you, you never know what sort of life you're going to save, who you're going to help out, or you never know when you might need blood. Like that's the other way around. Um, so call to action right now. Hop onto the website or go check out the Facebook. Jonathan, has been great having you in studio. Thank you. Really appreciate it. And again, just a word of thanks to all of our donors out there. Without you, this wouldn't have happened at all. We look forward to following the drone story, and I can't wait to see it live in action, delivering blood across South Africa. That's it. You heard it here on uh, The Good Things Guide to World First, drone technology delivering blood. Thank you, and only good things. That's it. Wishing you only good things. And for more good things, visit www.goodthingsguy.com. Okay? Love you. Bye.